Good morning and welcome to our weekly Bible prophecy update on Sunday mornings. We have two services, the first of which is devoted to Bible prophecy. And then the second service is the sermon where we're going verse by verse through God's Word. Today, Lord willing, we're actually going to finish 1 Timothy chapter 6. And today we encourage you and invite you to join with us at 11.15 a.m. That's Hawaii time. Of course, now those of you on the mainland had daylight savings time. We don't have daylight savings time in Hawaii. So anyway, um, 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time will be our uh, live stream of second service. And today, uh, very interesting, I'm going to talk about the dangers of godless chatter, idle babbling, pointless posts, particularly on social media, especially after the election on Tuesday, which is actually what we're going to talk about for today's update. But first, there's a couple things I wanted to mention. The first of which is that we need help. Uh, I want to make an appeal for specifically legal help concerning the AT&T cell antennas that we have on our church building. We actually, when we acquired the property and purchased the building and then subsequently renovated the building, it was actually a condition of the sale that we had to honor the lease with AT&T to have their antennas on our roof. Um, I had a, a good friend of mine on the mainland, uh, not a Christian, but a very good attorney, a brilliant legal mind. I actually sent him the lease, uh, the AT&T lease that we inherited. And asked him if there was any way we could get out of this lease. And he made a comment to me, and again, not a Christian, but great respect uh, that we have for each other, uh, very close friendship with each other. He basically said, J.D., I'm uh, sorry to tell you that there's absolutely nothing you can do to get out of this lease. And then he said this, he said, there is one thing you can do. There's only one way for you to get out of this lease, and that would be the rapture of the church. <laughs> now here's the problem. <laughs> the problem is, the way the lease was written, uh, it doesn't terminate until the year 2025, and we're stuck. However, uh, we believe there's been a breach of contract. And so we want those antennas removed from our building for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the roof is leaking. And we're concerned about mold in that area of the building, and it's leaking where the antennas are. Um, I mentioned this on Thursday night. We had many who responded. I very much appreciate that. But I need to be more specific in this appeal today and let you know that we are way past the point of talking. I have been talking with AT&T for years, five years, and they are non-responsive. 
And I thought actually at the beginning of this year that I had reached somebody high up in AT&T and actually thought maybe this is it. We can actually get a response from them. And sure enough, he stopped returning my calls. So here's the appeal. Uh, we, I, let me say this, I'm 58 years old. I've never been sued, nor have I ever sued anybody. That is not our intent. We're not looking to do that. All we want is for some help from someone, preferably somebody that maybe is uh, uh, with AT&T, uh, high up in that uh, corporate structure that could help us, or uh, maybe an attorney that could uh, help us to terminate the lease and remove those antennas and have them relocated. We don't want them put back on uh, the building. And there's also another concern, and I hesitate to bring it up, but uh, certainly if the Lord tarries, we don't want them putting 5G antennas up there. By the way, those are not, some of you are going, <laughs> as you're making your way for the exit. <laughs> I didn't know you. They're not 5G. Don't worry about that. Um, but we uh, uh, really need help in this regard, and we're making this appeal, particularly to our online church. Uh, it's like the Apostle Paul. Uh, he exercised his legal rights as a Roman citizen. And we just have, we have rights. <laughs> the way the lease was written, it gives AT&T all the rights, and it gives us as the property owner no rights. And so we're going to exercise our legal rights and really trust that the Lord is going to answer this prayer that has been a prayer for many years. And so if you are able to help, I'll have the guys put the, uh, the email address back on the screen. Will you please email office at calvarychapelcaneohe.com and we will send you the lease. And then if you could let us know if you're able to help uh, from a legal standpoint. Uh, and please pray and very much appreciate uh, you praying for us in this regard. And let's just trust the Lord that somehow it's going to take a miracle or the rapture. The rapture is fine too, but if, if it's not the rapture, it's going to take a miracle to get these things off of uh, our church building. So the last thing I want to mention real quick is that our website is up and we're really excited. Uh, JDFrog.org. You might want to check it out. There is a forum on the website and I'm told that it's already generating hundreds of thousands of page views from people discussing Bible prophecy related news. This is just phase one. Uh, please continue to pray for us, and we very much appreciate your patience with us. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, let's get to it. I want to talk about, and I, I'm sure you heard about, there's a really big election on Tuesday night. You heard about this, right? Yeah. Well, I want to share with you some serious concerns about what may happen after the presidential elections this Tuesday. I think you would agree 
that there's no shortage of predictions on the part of the so-called experts, all of whom see dark and dire days ahead. One need look no further than to what's really already taking place, even before the elections, to realize that said predictions may in fact be realized. On Monday, Zero Hedge published a most interesting article, and they posed this question. Are we going to witness the worst national emotional breakdown in the history once the election is over? Quoting, right now, we are experiencing the calm before the storm. Many Biden supporters believe that a Trump victory would literally be the worst thing that could possibly happen to our country. But at the moment, most of them are quite confident that Biden will win. Likewise, many Trump supporters are absolutely convinced that we will plunge into a horrifying socialist abyss if Biden wins. But for now, most of them are convinced that the polls are wrong and that Trump will pull out another victory in November. So with just a little over a week until Election Day, again, this was last Monday, most Americans that really care about politics are pacified because they believe that a positive outcome is right around the corner. But soon that will change. And tens of millions of Americans will simultaneously melt down emotionally right in front of our eyes. I think that just about everyone realizes that this national temper tantrum is coming. It is just that most of those that deeply care about politics assume that it will happen to the other side. Meanwhile, the Washington Post is also deeply concerned about what this election may do to our nation. In a very long article that they just published, they discussed the fact that both sides are convinced that the wrong outcome will bring disaster. One week before Americans choose their path forward, the quadrennial crossroads reeks of despair. In almost every generation, politicians pose certain elections as the most important of their time. But the 2020 vote is taking place with the country in a historically dark mood, low on hope. Listen to this. 
running on spiritual empty, convinced that the wrong outcome will bring disaster. I've never seen anything like it, said Frank Luntz, a Republican political consultant who has been convening focus groups of undecided voters for seven presidential cycles. Even the most balanced mainstream people are talking about this election in language that is more caffeinated and cataclysmic than anything I've ever heard. Emotions were definitely running high in 2016, but we have never seen anything quite like this. Most Democrats believe that Trump and his supporters are deeply evil. And likewise, most Republicans believe that Biden and his supporters are deeply evil. And of course, there are also many that are entirely convinced that all of them are deeply evil. When you have a nation that is this deeply divided, is anyone ever going to be able to bring us together in unity? It has been said that a house divided will surely fall. And at this point, our divisions have brought us to the verge of national collapse." End quote. What? It has been said? Excuse me, do you know who said that? The Savior said that. That's my Jesus you're talking about. What do you mean? It has been said that a house divided. No, that was spoken by Jesus Himself. And it's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. And it's interesting because it comes on the heels of Jesus being accused, get this, of casting out Satan by Satan. And Jesus is like, really? Well, He doesn't say that, but it's kind of the gist of it. Are you kidding me? And, and we're told Jesus knew their thoughts, and He said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. That's who said that. Okay, pastor, what's your point? Maybe you're asking, do you even have a point? Oh, you better believe I have a point, and I'll get right to the point. I think it would be appropriate very appropriate actually, for us to ask a question. And it's the what if question. With respect to the United States, which is really much more like the divided states, 
being on the verge of collapse. If what Jesus said is true, and it is absolutely true, then wouldn't it stand to reason that as divided as this nation is, it's just a matter of time? I know what some of you might be thinking, because I can read your minds. Let me just... It won't be the first time, certainly not the last time, that I would be accused of being an unpatriotic fatalist. When I talk like this, it's not the first time I've talked like this. And by the way, if I may just parenthetically say that I love this country, and I hope you don't misunderstand me when I say this, but I love this country more than most. Because my mother and my father, when I was nine months old, immigrated legally to this great country. And it was in 1963. And they fled the Middle East and the oppression from Islam in the Middle East to come to this great free country. And for five years, they studied and they prepared for that day when they could officially become U.S. citizens. I was just a young boy at the time, and I'll never forget it. It was like it was yesterday. I'm standing there with my mother and my father with tears streaming down their face, there in that citizenship ceremony as they pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, one nation under God, indivisible, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And they received their citizenship on that day. I tell you, I wonder sometimes if my parents had not come to this great country, if I would even be alive let alone be saved. I love this country. But here's the thing, if I could just be so uncomfortably open with you. The question that I have to answer is the question that Peter had to answer. When Jesus asked him, do you love that more than me? Do you love these more than me, Peter? I know you love this country. Do you love this country more than me? I know this is tough stuff. But it has to be said. I spent the better part of this week praying and fasting concerning today, knowing that the subject matter that I would be talking about would be 
difficult. But I would suggest that one's answer to this what if question may very well determine the level of disillusionment with the Lord. And if you'll allow me to, I'll explain what I mean when I say that. If and when something doesn't go our way, or the way we had hoped or even prayed it would go, disillusionment and disappointment always ensue. I'll take it a step further and suggest that oftentimes God is the one on the receiving end of the disappointment and the disillusionment. And lest one think that this could never happen to those who walk with the Lord, live for the Lord, hope in the Lord. Think Elijah. The account is in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And to me, it is arguably one of the most astonishing passages ever recorded in the pages of Holy Writ. And here's why. Elijah, who prayed that rain would not come down, and that fire would come down, is now himself well down. And what's hard to wrap one's mind around is that this is Elijah we're talking about. This is the same Elijah that slew 450 prophets of Baal. Now, Elijah is running for his life, with a contract out on his life, and we find him under a broom tree praying that God would take his life. What? What what in the world has happened to this great prophet Elijah? who heretofore was amazingly and mightily used of God? The answer, Elijah, like many of us, have the propensity to become unspeakably discouraged and disillusioned when things don't go the way that we had hoped they would go. That's exactly what happened to Elijah. What had he hoped for? What was he praying for? Well, I would encourage you to maybe revisit these two chapters in 1 Kings, chapter 18 and chapter 19. Do you know what he had hoped for? I know this is going to 
jam some gears, or for you younger people again, crash some hard drives. <laughs> but he was hoping to make Israel great again. He was hoping for the nation of Israel's repentance and the nation of Israel's revival, and it didn't happen. And it's even worse than that. If this weren't bad enough, he had also hoped that they would drain the swamp of Ahab, the most evil king in the history of the nation of Israel. And as for his lovely wife Jezebel, have you heard about this woman? Elijah had hoped that they would lock her up. Oh, pastor, you're, you're really asking for it. I don't care. Bring it on. Here's Elijah. Now stay with me. Hear me out. Don't tune me out. He just calls fire down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, this after the prophets of Baal are screaming and cutting themselves, themselves, and the blood is gushing out, and yet there's no response from their God, Baal, who is no God at all. And here's Elijah having some fun with it. Go ahead, because this is a contest on Super Tuesday. And he won the contest. Uh, spoiler alert for those of you who don't know, he won. What was the contest? Oh, uh, it was a contest between the false god Baal and the true and living God. And here's the thing, <laughs> Elijah goes to Ahab and tells him, hey, I why don't you bring your prophets down and let's have a contest. Let's settle this once and for all. And uh, let's go ahead and we'll get the sacrifice and we'll build the altar and we'll just douse it with water. And then you guys can go first and you can try to call fire down from your God to consume the sacrifice, which is very interesting, by the way. We'll talk about fire here more in a moment because the god Baal was known as the god of earth, wind, and fire. And you got to know, oh, by the way, that, if that brings to mind, uh, some of you are having flashbacks, so am I actually, I don't know why I went there, but that, uh, that group by that same name, uh, very satanic by the way. So this was their God. He was the God of the earth, the wind, and the fire. That's going to come up a little bit later. You already know where I'm going with this, right? You got to know that when Ahab hears this, he's like, oh, wait, so we're going to have a contest? <laughs> and we're going to call fire down from heaven? No way. Are you serious? Are you sure you want to do that? Because our God is the God of fire. <laughs> this is going to be great. 
Elijah's like, go ahead. So they're calling out, screaming out all day, and Elijah is toying with them. Um, hey, scream louder. Maybe he can't hear you. And this infuriates them. And then they scream louder, and then he says, wow, weird, yeah? Maybe he's on vacation? And then the ultimate, and this is true, and again, you can search the Scriptures for yourself. It's, it's very sanctified in, the, uh, in certain translations, but he actually says this to them. He says, you know, maybe your God is in the bathroom. No, it's okay, fine. Just laugh at me like that. No, he says that to them. And that just infuriates them even more. And then finally, he says, get out of my way. Oh, let's pour more water on there. Continue to pour more water on there. So they douse this thing with water. And Elijah, one time, calls upon the true and living God. And the fire not only consumes the sacrifice, it consumes everything. The altar, everything. Pretty decisive. And then they all, they all go down on their face. Truly, the Lord God is God. Oh yeah, that's, uh, that's real genuine. I'd be on my face too. So then it's at this point that Elijah has the prophets of Baal slain. And then word gets to Jezebel. And she puts a contract out on Elijah's life and says to him that by this time tomorrow, the same thing you did to my prophets is going to be done to you. Now one would think that Elijah would respond with, oh really? Okay, we'll see about that. God, did you hear what she just did? Silence. God, did you just see? And God seemingly does nothing. And that's why I believe it is that Elijah runs away and hides in the cave. And the reason he's running away is because it didn't go his way. Because he thought for sure God is going to take out Ahab and Jezebel too, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Oh, because God's ways and God's thoughts are not our ways and our thoughts. They're higher, they're better, and dare I say, they are greater.
I also believe that it's for this same reason that God doesn't speak to Elijah in the way that Elijah thought that God would speak to him when he appears before him at that cave that Elijah is hiding in. You know the story, right? First Kings 19. Again, for lack of a better word, probably one of the most astonishing passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. So here's, here's, here's what happens. First there's this, I mean, great earthquake, landslide, rock slide, mighty earthquake. And we're told God's not in the earthquake. And then there's this mighty wind. And we're not just talking about a wind, we're talking hurricane force wind. And God's not in the wind. And then comes this fire. And one would think that surely God is going to speak to Elijah through the fire, because after all, Elijah's into fire. I, I know this isn't in the text, and this is speculation on my part, but I, I wonder if Elijah was a pyromaniac, really into fire. Yeah, no, right? Surely God's going to speak to him in the fire. But no, he's not in the fire. Instead, God chose to speak to Elijah in a way that Elijah would not have thought. Because God's ways are not Elijah's ways. God's ways are not our ways. He chose to speak to him in the still, small, refining, whisper of a voice. And that got his attention. And he asks him the same question that he asked him right after he slew the prophets of Baal. And the answer is the same exact answer. He asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's not like God didn't know what He was doing there. Of course God knew what He was doing there. You know what He was doing there? Oh, He was throwing Himself a pity party, and nobody was there. Nobody showed up. He was feeling sorry for Himself. Do you know why He was feeling sorry for Himself? Because He did what God expected of him. However, it seems that God did not do what Elijah expected of God. He fully expected God to take care of Ahab and Jezebel, and He didn't. His problem is not with Ahab and Jezebel. His problem is with God. Here's another question, and I think it would be in order here. The question is, what are our expectations? What are we expecting God to do? Mm -hmm. 
Isn't it true that having expectations of what God will do and when God will do it and even the way God should do it always ends in disappointment and disillusionment? What Elijah could not know in his disillusionment and despair is that God was about to rapture him to heaven with a chariot of fire. There's this fire, by the way. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 11. Hang in there with me. I'm going somewhere with this. Then it happened. As they continued on and talked, they, speaking of Elijah and Elisha, whom God told Elijah to anoint as his replacement. So they're, they're walking, they're talking. Elisha has just got done asking Elijah for a double portion of his blessing. And Elijah responds and says to him, well, we'll see. If you see me caught up into heaven, then you'll get it. If you don't, then you won't. Which tells me that God had already revealed to him that he was going to take him. He never saw death, by the way. Oh, but when he's hiding in that cave, you couldn't have told him that. Oh, Elijah, if you only knew what God is about to do. So as they continued on and talked, suddenly, I like that word suddenly, by the way, a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire. More fire. Good thing. I mean, not just the chariot, the horses too. Fire all over the place. And it separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And it's even better than that. That's not the last time we see Elijah. You know when we see him again? You know, right? He's with Moses. Moses! <laughs> How cool is that? And they're on what we affectionately refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration. And they appear with and talk to Jesus. Matthew chapter 17. Follow along with me. I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. I want to read verses 1 through 8, and I think you'll see why here in a moment. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him, speaking of Jesus. Then Peter, I love Peter so much, verse 4. 
I think, I can't wait to meet him. I think a lot of people are going to have to apologize to Peter when they get to heaven. <laughs> it says, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Hang on to that word. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. <laughs> While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly, there's that word again, I like that word suddenly, a voice came out of the clouds saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But, verse 7, Jesus came and touched them, and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. Now I want to draw your attention to verse 8. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Here's where I'm going with this. Regardless of how all of this goes down, look up. Do not be afraid. Lift up your eyes and see Jesus only. Is it possible that our faith may be tested like never before? Absolutely. However, God's ways can be trusted like never before. As I was seeking the Lord and preparing for today's update, I petitioned the throne, inquired of the Lord, Lord knows my heart. Maybe I'll talk more about this uh, <clears throat> second service. But I, I see what's happening on social media. I'm going to mention a name here. And as I do, I want you to take uh, and, and pay particular attention to the emotion and the, and the thoughts that come to your mind when I say this name. Hunter Biden. Um, Jesus loves Hunter Biden. Jesus died for Hunter Biden. I wonder, does anybody pray for him? He's not the enemy. Joe Biden, his father, 
he's not the enemy. He needs Jesus. He needs Jesus. I have, a, I have a question. It's not in my notes. I guess I'll ask it. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit prompting me to. And again, we'll talk about it maybe more uh, second service. But I have a question for you. Have you destroyed your ability on social media to bring anybody to Jesus? I wonder. You know, I was uh, reading an article, very interesting. I, the younger generation, because of this political polarized climate that we're in, I wonder, have we lost the younger generation? We've aligned ourselves as Christians to a man. And you'll forgive me for the bluntness with which I say this, but Christians do err greatly when they continue to make excuses for Trump. Oh, you might win the argument. But you've lost the chance to bring somebody closer to Jesus. You know, sometimes I, I was just telling my daughter about this this last week. Non-Christians are more loving sometimes than Christians are. and the way they treat people. You know, when this is all said and done, the only thing that's really going to matter is Jesus. Only Jesus as that classic, timeless hymn of old, you can have this world, just give me Jesus. Can I just ask another question? Again, not in my notes, but I just feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to ask it. Please know that it's a question that I ask myself. So I believe the rapture is going to happen at any time. And I'm so excited about that. And it's my hope. It's, it's my only hope. It's your only hope too. But do you know what the implications of that are? If somebody is not born again of the Spirit of God, and does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to be left behind to face unspeakable horror unspeakable horror. They need Jesus. One last thing. 
And please hear my heart. If somehow we could have Elijah here this morning. I mean, first of all, how cool would that be? <laughs> we have a guest speaker today. <laughs> really? Who? Wow. Elijah. No way! Way. Let's just say we could have Elijah come up here and just share with us. What do you think he would say? I think he might say something like this. I know you want to make America great again. I wanted to make Israel great again. But God, God had a different plan. God had a different way. It was much higher. He wanted to take me to heaven, out of this world, not my home. I think of another classic, timeless hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I think Elijah would say, like Peter, <laughs> in fact, I just wonder if Elijah thought, oh Peter, you're doing what I did. You wanted it here. You want a, a tabernacle here. No, it's not here. It's up there. Oh, it would be great. It would be so great to have it here. No, no, Peter, no, Elijah. It's not down here. It's up there. I made a comment one time. I was asked to expound on it, and I struggled in doing so. I said, I want to make heaven great again. Oh, thank you for responding like that. That was a little better than I had hoped, actually. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> this is not our home. This is not our home. You can have it after we're gone. You can't have it before we're gone, because <laughs> not so fast. <laughs> But after we're gone, have at it. It's all yours. Oh, by the way, just so you know, uh, you're only going to have it for seven years, and it's not going to be pretty. You know what's interesting? is that post-election, there's likely to be many Elijahs who will be unnecessarily disillusioned in wanting to turn things around here on earth. But God wants to turn the Elijahs amongst us around. 
and take us to heaven instead. I know I said one last thing, but this will be the last, last thing. <laughs> Wednesday comes after Tuesday. I know that's deeply profound, yeah? And I just want to encourage you from the Lord, with the Word of the Lord, that God rules over all and overrules all. And God will have the final word. Am I suggesting that perilous times are going to come? No, I am not perilous times are already here. And they have been. And it's going to get worse. That's what my Bible says. And it's a good thing, and it's a God thing. Because maybe that's the thing that it's going to take on Wednesday, November 4th, for Christians to finally say, you know what? I've had it. Well, it's about time. It's about time. Because I want to take you like Elijah. Yeah, but Ahab, Jezebel, Trump, Biden, Hillary. Should I go on? No. Some of you say, stop. Don't worry about that. Every week, and particularly leading up to Tuesday, I find myself pleading <laughs> and pointing for us to see Jesus only. That's why we're doing these updates, and that's why we end with the gospel, the good news of salvation, and the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Apostle Paul says that the gospel we preached is that Jesus came, He was crucified, He was buried, and He rose again on the third day. And then in His first ever epistle to the Thessalonians, he says that the gospel is that Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, resurrected on the third day, and He's coming back again one day to rapture us away like He did with Elijah. That's the good news. That's the gospel. It's also why we end with the ABCs of salvation, which please know is only a childlike, simple way. It's not the only way. It's just a simple way to share the gospel with somebody. 
And I think you would agree that we're living in a day like never before and likely a day that we will never see again, where we have the greatest and grandest of opportunities to move everyone every day closer to Jesus while there's still time. For the last couple months now, we've been sharing testimonies that are just such an encouragement. We receive them from people all over the world, online members. I want to share with you three for today. There were so many more, but so hard to pick the ones that I want to share with you to encourage you. Good evening, Pastor JD. I'm writing from Pretoria, South Africa. On the evening of 15 October 2020, pardon me, my husband and myself have listened and watched your Bible prophecy update, October 4th, 2020, but God. The link was forwarded to us by friends. We went to collect stuff at the outskirts of Pretoria, which is an hour's drive from us, and gave us enough time to listen to the end. You need more than an hour lately with the updates there, longer than an hour. But anyway, on the way back, we came to your clip about the billboards with the ABC of Salvation message there in the USA. As this clip with the billboard picture was being showed, our vehicle's lights fell on an empty billboard next to the road at that very moment. And on the billboard it said, advertise here, phone number. And I immediately knew it was God that was telling us to advertise the ABC of Salvation message on this specific billboard. The next day I drove back to the billboard to get the cell phone number, and we started with all the planning. I also heard you say the word love, Jesus loves you, has become so watered down by the world, and that Jesus likes you is better. Isn't that sad? So this weekend, Saturday 24-10-2020, the ABC of Salvation message went up here in Pretoria, South Africa. We trust, yes, praise the Lord, right? Hey, <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you notice at the top, maybe the, the guys could put it back on the screen for the online church. Jesus likes you instead of Jesus loves you. Isn't that something? Then when you say Jesus loves you, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus likes you. He does. She says, we trust God to show us what to do further with this ABC message billboard, and that many people will see this message, and that hearts will be touched. Jesus likes you. Uh, I hope I pronounce their names right. Forgive me if I don't. Sonia and Tony Van Nykirk from Pretoria, South Africa. Here's the second one. Uh, actually, you know what? Put that up. I want to point out two things on this particular billboard, okay? Um, there are two things here you will never see in Hawaii. The first is the billboard. We don't have billboards in Hawaii. I don't know if you know that online. The second thing is the snow. Look at that snow. Does that look cold? That's because it is. Pastor JD, on behalf of my family, I would like to thank you for your faithful service to our Lord. I'd also like to share with you a story 
that has been over a year in the making. Early 2019, my Aunt Kathy went to visit a lifelong friend in Massachusetts. While visiting, this friend shared your ministry. My aunt returned from her trip and started to listen to you. She eventually started sharing the updates with her family, myself included, but none of us were much interested. It's worth pointing out that all of us were professing Christians. And then COVID happened. My aunt has long been a pre-trib believer, but seeing the world go the way it was, well, it was overwhelming. My aunt became burdened with needing to know that her loved ones were saved and right with God. You can imagine her disappointment when none of us were as excited about the last days as she was since she had been watching your updates. Well, due to COVID affecting the tourism industry, we know something about that here, I was out of work for several months. I took this time to dive into some conspiracy theories. While I learned a lot, my aunt wasn't particularly interested in what I was learning. She kept talking about the last days. So to sort of prove her wrong, I started to look into some of your updates. I was not expecting to see some of my conspiracy theories come up in your research as proof that we are living in the last days, specifically the one world government and how that related to the book of Revelation. So now I was hooked. I stopped with the conspiracies and focused on understanding the prophecies still to come. I eventually got my dad on board, and all three of us would watch your updates weekly. My aunt's heart was encouraged. I would try to share with my brother and his wife the things I, we were learning. They would usually dismiss us and talk about other things. We got them to watch your update about the test kits that were ordered before a virus was discovered. They watch you weekly now too. They actually use, listen to this, the ABCs of salvation to pray with their seven-year-old to be saved. Hallelujah. Yes. And JD, we heard the updates about the billboards. There is now an ABCs of salvation billboard in Watertown, South Dakota. That's where that is. And it's on both sides. Yeah. By the way, I, this is not my fault. I did not start this whole thing. There was a brother in Sebring, Florida that started this whole thing. I'll have you know. So she says, praise the Lord. My brother and his wife were the first to suggest it, but we all chipped in. It's going to be up through December 2020. While this has been a really hard year, yes it has, we have all come together through the shared enjoyment and education of your ministry. Our faith and resolve has been strengthened through the teaching of what the Bible actually says about the last days. Through the Holy Spirit and your teachings, we have understood what the Bible says and how it relates to what is happening now in 2020. It has also empowered us to share our faith with others more than we have in the past. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. We are still usually greeted with the scoffing 
And how long have they been saying Jesus is coming? But like you said, that just confirms another end time prophecy. Thank you, JD. Be blessed. Ashley Knudsen, Maranatha. Last one. This comes from Elizabeth Sanchez. Greetings, Pastor Farag. I have been following your prophecy updates for a few years now. I live in a relatively small city of Indiana. And again, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Terhout, T-E-R-R-E-H-A-U-T-E, Holt, Terre Haute. Thank you so much. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry, Terre Haute. Terre Haute, Indiana and felt led to also follow after the trend to place ads. I started with a couple of benches. This one is located outside of one of the two Walmarts in our area. Uh, perhaps others with a limited budget can do the same. Thank you so much for all your work, Maranatha. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Okay. What are the ABCs? The A is for admit or acknowledge that you sin, that you're a sinner, that you need the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. You might be a good person, but you'll never be good enough. There was only one who was perfect, Jesus. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's the death penalty. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This one verse has packaged together first the bad news, death, because of sin, with the good news, the gift of eternal life. That's the A. Here's the B. The B is for believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And then the C, lastly, very simple is for call upon the name of the Lord. Or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And Romans 10, 13 seals the deal. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might, not could, not should, no, will be saved. Last week, I want you to stand up. I want to share one last thing about last week. I mentioned the uh, thief on the cross, as we affectionately refer to him. And I'm so glad I did, because it was some much needed clarity on the part of some as it relates to the ABCs of salvation, not as something we do, because we don't do anything. It's already been done. 
Jesus did at all. It's not something you have to do this in order to be saved. It reminds me of a story, if you don't mind, just came to mind. So this will be the last, before the last thing. So this woman is uh, wanting to become a member of this church. So she goes to the elders and says, I, I would like to become a member of the church. And they say, okay, well, uh, so what you'll need to do is you'll need to go through this uh, 12 week study, Bible study. Uh, and then after you complete that, then come back and uh, we'll uh, talk to you. So she completes the 12 week study and course and comes back to the elders and says, okay, I've, I've completed the, the, the course. I want, I want to become a member. They said, oh, uh, wait, now here's what you need to do. And they gave her another six week course on the church itself that she had to go through and complete. She's like, okay, so she goes and she completes the six week course and she comes back and says, okay, I want to become a member. And they said, no, now you have to. And then they gave her more to do. And just, I mean, crushed and discouraged. She leaves, she goes, sits down on this park bench starts crying out to the Lord, Lord, all I wanted to do was just become a member of this church. And Jesus just encourages her and says, Oh, my dear beloved, I've been trying to get into that church for years. (laughs) Couldn't do it. Okay, I'm glad I shared that. (laughs) You get the point, right? Come as you are. You don't have to do anything. The thief on the cross didn't do anything. All he did was come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he was a sinner. And oh, he's the Savior. And he believed. The other criminal rejected Jesus. The other criminal, the thief on the cross, believed Jesus. And then he called upon him and asked of him, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And what was Jesus' response? Not so fast. You got to go through a 12-week course. (laughs) What, you think it's that easy? Huh. Oh, really? On your deathbed, of course, right? No. He says, truly, truly, I say unto you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. That's how simple. Father, I thank you so much for the simplicity of the gospel. Lord, it's impossible really to thank you enough for the gift that you paid for in full when you paid the price and purchased us with your blood shed in our stead. Lord, I thank you for the gift of eternal life. And Lord, I just pray for anyone who might be here in this church service today or watching online that has never called upon you, 
believing in you, looking to you, acknowledging you, putting their trust in you for the forgiveness of sins. I pray that today, while it's still called day, today would be the day of their salvation. And lastly, Lord, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.